You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and you're about to listen to a conversation between myself and a fellow by the name of Dan Howells who's an outstanding blues and roots artist from Perth and Western Australia. Yet another wonderful artist from Perth, so many of them. The reason for the conversation is to promote Dan's outstanding new release, A Dime A Dozen. So let's have a listen to what he has to say. Here we go. Smith calling through a minute early. How are you going? Oh, not too bad. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Is now a good time for us to chat? Yeah, yeah. It's perfect timing. No worries at all, mate. So, uh, yeah, thanks for agreeing to the interview, actually. I've been getting into your music, uh, as I do with so much of this oh, stuff that's beautiful. Um, This one's pretty different to just about anything else I've received, though, I've got to tell you. I don't get a lot of roots and blues music coming through to me, but I've really enjoyed this, and it's not just because it's different. I'm also a musician, and... The first point that I'll make to you, mate, is that to the untrained ear, and I'm sure you've heard this in the past, they would say it's minimalist. I don't think it is. Mm. I can hear hundreds of hours worth of focus on this. It sounds like as though this is an album that's been fine-tuned across many, many stages over a long period of time. Is that about right? Um, it's it's uh, it, it did happen over a fairly long time, uh, over about a year and a half, two years. Um and it, and it just kind of happened really organically, which is nice. So a lot of a lot of the songs on there um, are songs I've been writing and playing for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the process was so I, I played on um, Nanop Festival um, as a solo act, and I kind of got into that as a favor from a friend um, who liked my music. Mm-hmm. And I won some recording time for free. So then the guy who was booking me uh, was also a drummer. He was like, "I dig your stuff. Let's." So we kind of we went into the studio and three of the tracks on there are just me and the drummer. Um, mm. And we basically kind of did it on the fly, but it kind of happened really nicely and organically. Then we spent a whole year touring and put together a whole full band. Uh, so we got a bass player, um, Yulia on vocals and guitar, and then a, a keys player who doesn't actually feature on the album, but will on the next. Um, and we just we just played so many shows that we really fine-tuned our craft through playing gigs and seeing what worked and seeing what the crowd enjoyed. Yeah. And then we went in and recorded another four tracks. Um, and we did that quite quickly. So it, it, yeah, it did. It basically like the album was recorded throughout the evolution of, of, of what we've been working on basically, which has been really cool. So what about the thing, there's, there's two words here they're going to throw at you and they're going to sound like throwaway mm. words, but they're not really. Okay. So, Okay. Flow and tempo is right where it needs to be because a lot of this roots and blues music, if it's performed too slowly or too fast, loses the feel, particularly when it's performed too slowly. When it's performed, sorry, too fast, when it's performed too slowly, it, it just meanders a little bit. You can still sort of catch what's going on, but you seem to have got that cadence just right. So talking about... The oh, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what I mean. I, I tend to I tend to put it on when I'm in the shower. To be honest with you, it just <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I love finding a place for music, and your music just seems to seem to suit that environment. Um, I have it on around the kids as well. I know this is probably not feedback you're used to getting, of course, mate. But uh, it is how it is because we all lead our lives the way we lead our lives, and this is oh, how absolutely, it, yeah. You know, this is how it's fine. Um, found a, you go. Sorry, you're on. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we've, it's funny. We've like because we play, you know, we, uh, out here in Frio, we, we play a lot of like shows for you know eighteen plus kind of things, and it's you know more of an 
kind of drinking uh, area where people are sort of moshing at the front and they get into dancing really quick. But we've also played a fair few festivals where there is a bit of a family-friendly vibe, and it's hilarious seeing the kids dance to it because kids actually really like our music. Yeah. <laughs> that started off writing this like dark bluesy stuff. And I, it's amazing to see little kids get into it. You know, they really actually, <laughs> it's, it's very surprising. It's nice. It's a good thing. It's nice that we, uh, we, we can cater to both kind of crowds, I think. Yeah, I found the same thing. The kids really dig your guitar playing. So my yeah. oldest daughter will do a bit of air guitar or what have you along to the stuff that you're doing there. So it's really, oh, awesome. It's really cool to, to see that you got that feedback. But it also says something. Your music is, and it's it's very versatile. It can be played in a in a large number of venues for a large number of applications. What I mean is festival environments. You can do sh- like community fairs, like lines and rotary fairs, that sort of thing. So, ha- how far uh, have you thought about doing the live thing? Are you going to stick to you know the late night venues? Oh, I, I I no, I will do anything that looks like a good time, whether it be. Um you know, whether it be those, I, like we've played, um, we have a festival called Man Up Festival. We literally just got back yesterday from Wave Rock Festival um, out in Hyden. So that was, um, the headliners were Abby May and CW Stone King. So that was pretty special because they're two of my main influences. Hmm. Um, you know, when I started listening to blues, you know, a couple of years back. Um, but yeah, we've we've played all kinds of gigs already. And, and I feel like we're a band that's kind of, We've really put a lot of work into our live show, um, and and that that comes out, um, I think. So we've we've played we played a rodeo last year. We've played daytime sets at you know family friendly festivals. We've done nighttime sets in dirty whiskey bars where everyone's having a pretty good time, and you you know people are right at the front of the stage and just rocking out. So it's it's really nice to have that option. It, it's really nice, I guess, to be versatile because you can play a whole range of events and and it's not just the same bars every couple of months you know which Mm. is really nice it kind of breaks it up and everyone the band members have a good time as well so yeah a bit of variety and what inspired you though to perform bare knuckle blues and roots like what you're doing here because i imagine you're a proficient guitarist i can certainly hear that have you was it only ever going to be this sort of music or do you did you experiment with other things before you arrived at this sort of music I experimented with other things. I, I have a really funny story of how I started playing live music. I actually, my friends were living and working in Cambodia, one as a teacher and one as a as a DJ in their resident nightclubs in Phnom Penh. Um, and when I was sort of 21, 22, I just started uh, traveling um, a fair bit. And I, I wound up, I was traveling in Southeast Asia for about three months. And when you you know, when you're 21, I went over there, I think, with $1,500 for three months. And I was like, it'll be fine. <laughs> and um, I wound up in Cambodia living with my friends, but I'd pretty much run out of money. And, you know, mom and dad are great to me, but uh, I didn't want to hit them up for money. You know, you're you're 21. You're like, no, nah, I'm independent. But I had a little travel guitar with me. And I, I just started chatting to some little little tourist bars and stuff. And they were like, yeah, we'll pay you to play, play some music in here. Back then, yeah, like I, I just kind of played... I, I did do some covers and stuff in Cambodia and threw a couple of my originals in there. Um, and it was kind of before, it was right on the cusp of, I was listening to like a lot of the Black Keys. Mm, and yeah. from there I got into Junior Kimbra because he was their main influence. And they, they did an album, tribute album to him. Um, and then I got into the older blueser guys like uh, Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker. And then yes. started listening to Tom Waits. And at the same time, Abby May 
had just released that first album um, that was just so, so good. And I think, I don't know, I think with Blues and Roots, there's kind of this taboo almost that it's, you know, old people music. <laughs> that's that's what I hear a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I kind of don't agree with that because, you know, we, as I said, we've got little kids that get into it. We've got oldies that get into it at Bridgetown Blues. There's 18 and 19-year-olds at our shows when we do them in the bars and they're having a good time. I think it's just, yeah, it makes you feel feel a lot. Yeah, I, I think there's I, I think there's enormous crossover potential here, and so I've got a good question for you. So, I know that you've mm. been played on Roots and All on Triple J. Fine, I get that. It's sort of it's a bit of a niche market. I see that the Triple J would probably want to put mm. you in that box there, but I think you're bigger than that. So, my question for you is, what do you think it's going to take for your music to become more widely known? And if you were given an opportunity for your music to be used on a show like The Block or The Bachelor or any one of those those commercial things. Would you take it? Um, on, on The Bachelor I, or The Block? I couldn't <laughs> ever imagine it. But if, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to take opportunities and I like to weigh up um, whether they're worth it for us. And I think, I think today, like, there's so many incredible acts and so many, much incredible music out there that there's fierce, fierce, competition not to say that like we're, it's such a loving music community between bands because it's kind of just like you're kind of just like yeah we're not going to make much money off this and uh or in the beginning anyway and it's going to be like pushing crap uphill in the beginning but you're doing it for the love of it so i'm happy to do anything that will give us a good opportunity but means i don't have to forego the originality of the sound that i love to play um saying that i am really excited because because we did the this first album, we did it on the fly so much, especially the first three tracks on there. Um, we kind of went into it half knowing what we were doing, and that was beautiful because especially in the song "The Prince," that's we won a Wham Song of the Year for Blues in 2017 yes. for that Congratulations song. Congratulations! There's a there's a point. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. But there's there's a point um, after the second chorus or the third chorus where we go into like a little bit of a gypsy-esque kind of solo, but Cuddy, the drummer, actually changes tempo in this like weird kind of slow down swing yep. kind of thing. And, it, and it, it's one of our favorite parts of the song, but it happened by accident. And I think, um, I think having that kind of accidental stuff happen in the studio is beautiful. But when we go back now, I'm excited to try a different way of recording. Um, still keep that dirty blues kind of sound, but almost just polish it a little bit, um, but not too much. Is so that, that we right? Still get, yeah, I think that's some of your yeah, charm. Still get our I've got to say, the grit and the the, oh, of course. the energy, I think that's a wonderful attribute that you've brought to the music. That I, you, it's, it's very tempting, and I get that for someone. I know you work with James James Newhouse, and, it's, and I think he did a wonderful mm. job, by the way, an outstanding job. So it's very, Oh, he's amazing, yeah, and he's such a nice guy as well. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I'll ask you a question about him in a sec, but I've got to make this point because that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was when I downloaded it and put it into my media player and then, of course, it came through onto my phone because I use um, iCloud and it came mm-hmm. on and it was this real deep-down, dirty and nasty John Lee Hooker boogie that came oh, through. Oh, yeah. And I, I'd, I'd employ you not to change that. I understand that you've got to polish it a little bit because that's what radio wants and all the rest of it, but I really think that that's such a wonderful attribute and characteristic of your music it'd be a shame to lose it. 
Oh, absolutely. And I'm, yeah, I'm not, not looking at losing it, just looking at like honing, I guess honing a little bit or I, I don't know, I guess a good example would be, um, I guess like Jack White kind of thing. Um, sure, if you've okay. ever listened to, yeah. Yeah. So if yeah. you think, if you think of like Jack White stuff now, it's still, it's still pretty dirty and still pretty blues based, but just with a different element to it. Um, when you compare it to say the first white stripes album or something like that. So just kind of that direction, not like, uh, I'm going to change up the style completely or the recording style, but just, just a little bit. And yeah, you're going to evolve um, is what I think you're saying. And yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to evolve maybe 10 or 20% more <laughs> okay. on the next, on the next few songs. Yeah. So, so I mentioned James beforehand, and I did a bit of research about him and found out that he recorded the Waifs and bought his entire studio somehow over with him from uh, Western Australia to... Where are they from? Are they from Victoria or New South Wales, the Waifs? Uh, the Waifs? I'm, yeah, I'm not sure where they're from, but yeah, go so, on. So, so he basically packed up his recording studio, and then I, I haven't listened to the album, but I can only assume based on the work he did with you, it's a stellar-sounding album. Um, but yeah. I, I read that his home studio is an original location. It might be Bunbury, I think I read. It could be wrong, though. Yeah. Did you stay yeah, with him? Yeah, just, just uh, south. Well, um, we did, yeah, we did, yeah, we did stay with him. Yeah, um, it was just just further south, and, and he's got this amazing house out there, um, real real country house, and he's, he's growing his own olives and making his own olive oil out there. Um, he's got just a lovely family um he, he's yeah he's a real pleasure to work with and the space is really nice he's got mm. kind of a separate separate room that's been converted into the studio his gear is amazing i mean you can hear from the drum quality like with i think Cody was playing on a 1930s snare i was playing playing mm. on a 1960 original gibson sg you know through dual amps that were both you know vintage and and of the best quality, I think it was a Vox and a Fender um, linked together. Just yeah, it's it's a really nice place to go and record, um, especially for that kind of what we wanted to do. Especially, I think he really captured what we wanted really well. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's one of those places. When I was reading his bio, where you could go and you didn't have so much of an incentive to look at your phone as we tend to do as adults. I get that, and you could sort of tune out mm. and, and tune in and zone out a little bit on the music. So, so obviously, it's had an impression on you recording in that environment. And it's it's it's. I think it's it's almost um, the album would have sounded different if it wasn't recorded there. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think so. I, I I think definitely. And there's something a bit exciting about, you know, jumping in the van with the band and, you know, having a little trip down south. And, you know, it's it's a really nice experience rather than just being like, all right, let's do four hours tonight. You know, I'll drive there and drive back after when you when you're out there, you're just fully committed to it, I think. And mm. um, for any anyone thinking about recording uh, with him, I would highly recommend it. And he'd also do it in summer because he's got a swimming pool out there as well. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a little bonus. <laughs> no, wicked, wicked. Now, you mentioned your Gibson SG before. So was that the axe of choice or do you have a bit of a quiver of axes there that you turn to for recording purposes? Um, so so I'm not um, – that's, that's his guitar. He's got a couple of guitars in the studio. I'm not quite to the level where I can afford a three or four thousand dollar guitar yet. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, um, I, 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 my guitar choice. I play um, a Gary Clark Jr. Epiphone. 
okay. um, Phone Casino. So they're a true hollow body. And Gary Clark Jr., he's, I, I love him as a guitarist. I think he takes traditional blues and then just makes it a little dirtier. You know, he, he really feels it. And it's really cool. My dad used to produce on a, a little community radio station here in Perth. And Gary Clark Jr. came through, I think, when I was 18 and was just doing, like, um, an interview. And my dad was like, oh, you should check this uh, this CD out. And it was just it was a burnt copy of an EP with you know, Gary Clark Jr. had written his own name on it kind of thing. Mm. And, um, yeah, yeah, I got into his stuff. But he released a guitar that um, was meant to be affordable but have a similar quality to the Gibsons. Mm-hmm. So it's got mm-hmm. – it's basically an Epiphone guitar, but it's got Gibson pickups and a Gibson top on it. So it's um, it gets a pretty nice sound. It's a true hollow body, so there's no struts on the inside of it. So you get this real crazy resonance as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just sounds good through a distortion pedal. Really good. <laughs> if you so could own, I use that and I pick. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, if you could own any any. So you're going to make a good point there. So I better let you make it because that was I was going to. I just I was just had a thought and then I thought, God, I'd, I'd interrupt you and try get it in, but I'm stuffing it up. No, I'm go for it. it. Um, <laughs> if you could own any guitar in the world, what would you own? And there's a bit of a reason behind that because I was in Mandolin Brothers many years ago on Staten Island in New York and played a Martin. I don't remember the model number. I was petrified to play it yeah. because it was from 1931. And to your point wow. about the resonance on these these guitars, it felt like porcelain, and it, it just—I've never heard a G like it, a natural G like it in my entire mm. life. And just a strand, standard G chord. It was like that old saying where David Gilmore from Pink Floyd could do more with one note on a guitar than all of the 80 shredders combined could do with a fretboard. This guitar had that yeah. kind of a quality. So if you could pick any guitar yeah. in the world. What would you pick? I th- I think I would I think I would it, I would definitely have to be an electric. Like I do I do have a brass resonator as well, and I like that. But I love playing electric. Um, I think it would have to be a, a Gibson, an original, um, an original Gibson hollow body, something like a Casino or something like that, but from the sixties or seventies. Um, those eras of guitars were really beautiful. A- aged sort of wood is awesome, and the pickups on them were just so beastie i think um that's what i'd go for <laughs> and Sweet. i think they go for around five five grand or something <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could get a grant from the government or something like that maybe something like that could work out well, oh yeah it's just like i've got something i'm really happy working with at the moment and any any money you know we get we're starting to get good money for shows and stuff um but you just want to, I think primarily I want to put that money back into the band in terms of recording, in terms of production, in terms of, I mean, we haven't done a film, but the Mary Lou, the the single that we released with the album, um, kind of as one of the lead singles, um, I think we could do something really cool with a film clip there. Just all that kind of stuff I I think is more my focus rather than gear at the moment. Um, Mm. Yep. Who knows down the road if things go well for us, maybe we can email Gibson or something and, Get a get a little sponsor. <laughs> God, if they're still around, who knows? the way that they're going. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I have heard the chatter about that. That's a bit of a bummer. I haven't been keeping um, up to date with it. I must say, but the last thing I heard and I understood the problem is when you get. Well, actually, I don't know. I won't even speculate. I don't know how the hell they got into the position with being such an iconic manufacturer to get into a position where I'm pretty sure they had to declare bankruptcy. And uh, yeah, and they put yeah, I bloody, heard those bloody awful tuners on the back of all of their guitars, and you couldn't remove them, otherwise you lose your warranty. 
Um, yeah. That's what I understand. So I might as well use the alleged thing on that one there. I understand just from my reading online. I'm only parroting back what I've read online. But uh, it's a real yeah, shame when, it, when a guitar company has... Uh, producing as a history of producing such iconic instruments has got to a point where potentially people are talking about them no longer producing those same guitars. So let's just hope yeah. saner heads prevail and there can be a bit of a uh, God, if they can bail out shitty auto yeah. companies like General Motors, mate, so they can bail out a wonderful company who's given so much to the community like Gibson. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like you know, it's Gibson or Fender usually. Yeah. <laughs> like for most bands, that's kind of. Um, yeah, hopefully they stick around. Beautiful guitars. But I guess as well, like, I guess I guess most people are chasing what they were making in the 60s as well, you know? Just mm. because the wood's so aged and you get that resonance in it. And um, I think labor has become a lot more expensive. It becomes pretty hard to um, to do things properly these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's right, yeah. Hey, you, you were going to make a point earlier about your effects unit and the amps that you were using as well. I better let you finish that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the like the pedals I work with yeah, or sorry, the, the amps that I'm yeah, using? The pedals yeah, yeah. And the amps you work yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, sweet. So I'm, I'm still kind of experimenting with that. I mean, like all this has come relatively fast. To, to I, I think about two years ago I made the decision to actually stop just fluffing about and actually try music as a career. And I, I just had a few songs laying around and, and, and we start to put stuff on. So in the space of two years, you know, we started to get on festivals and we, you know, we didn't have that wham thing and we've had some radio play, like things are going really well for us. I'm still working out what I'm, what's best to work with within budget, but I use a, a boss blues driver. That's a really nice mm, distortion nice. pedal. Um, I use a Moor. They're really cool. They're Chinese made, but they're little clone clone pedals for about a quarter of the cost of what some of these pedals would normally cost. Um, and you find them in most most um, most guitar shops and stuff. But I use a Moor um, octave up pedal, so that gives you that really. I use that on some lead breaks. You wouldn't have heard that in I, on um, on the song. He's got to have it. You'll hear the solo in there, and that's got that kind of you're just shifting all the notes up an octave. Um, and it just gives this real screaming, wailing kind of sound. Um, and then um, I've got the original, not the original, but my original from when I was like a little 13-year-old <laughs> tacker that my dad gave me, a, a Jimi Hendrix Wawa, um, which I haven't, I haven't recorded on yet, but I'm, I'm just putting a little bit of that into some, some new stuff and lead breaks and stuff like that, just to give it a little bit of diversity for live shows and stuff. Um, and... I've uh, just, just got a tremolo pedal as well. And in terms of amplifier, I use um, Strauss. They're a really cool Australian company. Um, and it's kind of their version of a Fender Blues Junior. But what's nice about it is it's got a gain gain channel as well. So really nice, like, valve amp um, with reverb and, yeah, just a really good gritty gain on there kind of thing. And that's mm. that's been my favorite. I've I've played, like... I've played the amazing Fender Hot Rod DeVilles and stuff like that on stage when they have backline and there's a little more power to them, but this thing's that I'm playing on is a little 20 watt amp and it really does the job. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's a really, really good kind of tone. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't need more than that, do you? Especially when it's it's fantastic no. gear. Yeah, well, this little thing is, you know, this little thing's 20 watts and I can carry it in one, one hand and um, 
I only ever have it at about three on stage because, you know, they mic everything up these days. So, yes. But it's still loud enough if you're playing like at a brewery or something. It's still loud enough to, you know, really crank it into a big shed type environment. <laughs> yeah, the big wall of noise situation. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And, mate, I'll make this my last question. For people listening, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. recording this for my podcast series, um, how do they get in touch with you? So I know you've got a really good Facebook page there, but how else can they discover your wonderful music? Um, so our music is on all the all the digital platform, platforms. So you've got um, Spotify and uh, iTunes and Apple Music, and I think Google does one as well. Um, so obviously, search for us anywhere on there. Um, we have printed vinyl and CDs, and obviously that helps us hugely mm-hmm. if there are people that collect out there. So I will be putting that up in the next few weeks on our Bandcamp. So we've got a Bandcamp page, so danhouse.bandcamp.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, we're pretty open. We're independently managed. I take care of the Facebook page and the socials and our management and booking. So if anyone's interested out there on booking us for shows, just, just send us a message on Facebook. I'm pretty open to things, and it's more just about seeing if budgets can work, especially being over in Perth. It's kind of... It's kind of um, if we're going over east for festivals and stuff, we've got to make sure that we can actually cover flights and stuff like that. But we love playing shows. It's, it's what we want. Obviously, it's awesome to get radio play, and we want people to listen to our songs all the time. But the, the live shows, that's that's nothing yeah. better than um That's the best way to enjoy that. what I reckon you... I haven't seen you, obviously, yet. I haven't had the opportunity to. But when I eventually do, I'll really be looking mm. forward to that. So, you know, just... Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's something that happens up there when you have... I don't. I don't want to say it's an ego thing because I, I like to think it's not. There's definitely an element of that, but it's just when you have that many people ready to have a good time. I really, I feel you feed off them. I feel it makes you into that. You know, we've, we've got quite an animalistic kind of stage show going on, and I think it's people always think it's you, but it's actually them that's there to watch you. you know, you know, mm. that's why it's harder to play a show of ten people than it is to play to a thousand people. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, we love it. I totally agree yeah. with that. I've, yeah. I've played many shows in my life. I've mainly performing covers, bands, but played at the casino here the other night. That's an easy gig, really, because you're playing in front of about 80 mm. or 90 people at any given time because they're, they're not there to watch you. They're just there to drink and gamble, but you're still the entertainment yeah. that's on. Um, and then you're playing mm. at other venues where you're playing to, say, five people, and, my God, do those nights drag on. They are... Yeah, and, the, and, the, and the, the, I think... I think someone, I can't remember even who it was. I think it was a muso, but someone once told me that like, it doesn't matter if you're playing to like, and we've done, you know, we've played to 10 people and we've played to 2000 people before, Hmm. (laughs) you know, but like they said to me, it doesn't matter whether you're playing to a thousand or to 10, you as a musician, your job is not to just play the music well, but you should pour your heart out to, even if there's just 10 people there, you should still do that because even if you just like, even if one person is moved by that, you know, that's, that's how you start to gain a following, mm. you know, and if you can then transfer that to the huge crowds, which is very easy to do, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of the nice thing. We started off playing kind of smaller shows, um, you know, 50 to a hundred people. And now, you know, we, we played Fremantle Arts Center last year and that, Oh, the beginning of this year, and that had fifteen hundred people. Me and Yulia tour as a duo in Europe, and we just um, we did a city festival to fifteen hundred people there, and like, it's just crazy when you're up there because you're just like, how did 
how did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate, fantastic. Well, I love your music, as you can tell. Anybody out there that's listening, just oh, thanks so much. Give give Dan's music a go because it's music that will warm your soul. It's so many applications that it can be put on in the background. It's one of those albums that you can listen to with headphones on and you discover new things with it as equally as it is at home if you've got it on in the background and you've got a family barbecue or something else, man. It's a tremendous album and long may you continue to make music, mate, because I'll still be tuning in. Oh, man, thanks for all the kind words. Really appreciate it. No worries at all, mate. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast, syndicating for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that conversation featured Perth musician Dan Howes. Thanks so much for listening.